Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. A stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saints FC podcast. This week we have a very, very special guest on the show um, as I get the opportunity to speak to former Saints captain and legend that is Klaus Lundekvam. Now, I must issue a little bit of a warning uh, before you listen to this episode because Klaus had a very interesting time of his life after he left Southampton. And we speak about that in some detail and it is a conversation kind of best left uh, for the grown-ups. So if there are any sensitive ears, if you don't really fancy um, getting into kind of slightly adult and depressing stories, then it's probably best uh, to leave this episode for a time perhaps in a maybe more suitable location uh, or at a more suitable time. Um, But those of you that don't mind getting down into the detail of Klaus's life at Saints and afterwards and all the ups and downs and trials and tribulations, do listen in. And of course, please let us know what you think of the episode. Email us saintsfcpodcasts at gmail.com or tweet us at saintsfcpodcast. Well, I'm going to rewind in time now and go back to when I made a call to Klaus. So ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, I am humbled and delighted and feeling a little bit nervous and excited because uh, we have someone who is undeniably a Saints legend on the line here. Um, Calling calling us uh, we, we, we've got Klaus Lundekvam on the line so I mean Klaus I could say so many things about you and your your Saints career I mean you spent 12 years at Southampton from 1996 to 2008 I mean I supported started supporting Saints in the 1990s I still do today so I mean a, a, almost probably more than half of my Saints supporting life you were just there in the centre of our defence um, okay. over 350 appearances for the club um, after joining um, for £400,000 back in 1996, which, which is amazing. You've also got 40 appearances for your national side, for, for Norway. Um, you have many, many of those appearances as captain um, for Southampton. Uh, but it, it, in all those appearances, you only managed uh, two goals, which we, we might get onto a little bit later and find out why it took you so long to get there. Um, but Klaus, I mean... If you were to meet a Saints fan who maybe only started supporting Saints in the last 10 years and didn't know about about you, how, how would you describe oh. yourself and your, your Saints career? Well, uh, well, first of all, uh, it's very nice to, to join you all. Uh, 
and uh, I feel humble as well and I'm very very feel pri- privileged to have a, such a long uh, Saints career as I as I had uh, it was uh, a wonderful time of of my life and uh, I'm very proud of my my career at uh, at Southampton uh, so uh, it's nice to, to join you and catch up with some uh, my uh, beloved Saints fans. Uh, describing my career is, uh, well, if we can start with the goals, that will be uh, short and sharp. Uh, now, I'm, I've, I've just so many great memories, John, from, uh, from my career. Uh, all the friendships uh, I've developed over the years with, uh, with players, uh, most of them I, I keep uh, in contact with. Uh, but all, all the years, obviously the first few years I came over was, was was tough. It was hard. We were sort of fighting relegation every year, uh, and uh, but uh, so many the FA Cup final, my testimonial, so many great victories. I, I can sort of look back at, and uh, yeah, uh, makes me humble and proud, really. Brilliant. So, I mean, sh- sh- let's go back a little bit in time. Um, I'm interested in knowing what life was like for you before Southampton. And um, I-, I don't know if you're aware of that ugly inside, but the kind of a-, a Southampton fanzine which started in the 1980s with kind of photocopied uh, handouts, which they gave out and sold at the ground. And they now have a YouTube channel and, and everything. But they've they've just... Um, uh, messaged me and they said they wondered who was your football inspiration whilst you were growing up in Norway well I, I grew up as a Liverpool fan uh, <clears throat> because of uh, uh, the 80s when I, I was uh, sort of youngish I, uh, and my grandmother was born and, and raised in Liverpool so I've got a little bit of scouser blood in me uh, so Liverpool was my team and uh, I remember Funny enough, uh, Sooners and Daglish and all those, and uh, it's a bit ironic that it was Sooners who bought me, so uh, it's like a fairy tale. Uh, but growing up, um, I was obviously following the, the English football, the English league uh, was huge in Norway, and it's always been like that in Scandinavia with the, with the Premier League and uh, the tradition of, of English football. Um, so, uh, but Liverpool was my team. Um, but my sort of uh, idols and, and heroes when I grew up was uh, Diego Maradona. He was uh, he was the main uh, the main player. Yeah, well, well, of course, I don't think we can argue with that. Um, you know, there's there's still a lot of bitter people in England uh, who think about Diego Maradona and his hand of God. But I mean, undeniably, <laughs> what what a talent and what a player. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I suppose a great choice if you're going to have a football to, footballer to inspire you. Um, yeah, in terms was, of talent, you can't can't go much watching. further than Maradona, can you? No, you can't. And I was lucky enough to play a friendly, uh, like a show game against him. Uh, about five six years ago back in Oslo uh, and uh, even though he, he didn't move very much he still had the unbelievable talent you can yeah. see his touch and his technique was unbelievable so uh, yeah what a player 
And, and how did it feel meeting your football idol? Because, I mean, I get a little bit starstruck when I meet some of these ex-Saints players, you know, talking on the finals, had the butterflies in the tummy before I, I called you <laughs> and, and spoke to you because, you know, wow, it's it's Klaus Lundekvam. And, you know, lots of people have just said they're very jealous of me to get this opportunity. And I had the same when I met Matt Letizia. I think the first time I met him, I couldn't even speak. But how, how did you find meeting Maradona? Well, I was a bit starstruck, obviously, uh, having him as a as a like a world idol. It was it was just uh, unbelievable as a player. So when you meet him, he's a, he's a humble guy, and we all are as footballers. We are normal uh, normal people. But obviously, uh, uh, meeting Diego Maradona for the first time, obviously, was, was huge. Uh, but I obviously grown up in in Norway on a little fishing village uh, on an island uh, for me to come to the Premier League and, and sort of meet uh, all the superstars uh, all the teams all the Arsenals and Man United and all the big uh, big teams it was uh, I was all of a sudden there uh, obviously you have a lot of uh, a lot of respect for these players you've, you've only seen and heard of but obviously, you, you, uh, I wasn't afraid. There was, uh, I was just very, very lucky to, uh, and uh, yeah, privileged to to be there and competing against the best. And um, so, I mean, being a Liverpool fan when you were growing up, do you, do you remember the first time you played at Anfield with Saints, and, and how did that feel? I remember it really well. It was, uh, it was only my second game. Uh, my debut was home against Nottingham Forest at the Dell. Uh, we drew two all, and we had a Tuesday uh, evening game on floodlights at Anfield, uh, and that was yeah, it was just unbelievable. All of a sudden, I was there, uh, growing up as a Liverpool fan, uh, going at Anfield, uh, listening to the Cop sing "You Never Walk Alone." It was. Yeah, it was indescribable. Uh, it was just, uh, yeah, you, you can imagine my nerves. Uh, I was only a young kid. Uh, it was very, very special. And I got sort of a funny story there. Um, obviously, growing up as a Liverpool fan, I, the old sort of entrance to the Enfield, you, you walk down and, and there's, uh, as everybody knows, it's a, it's a sign, uh, this is Anfield. And, uh, I had to touch it when I walked down the stairs <laughs> to the pitch, and I just heard back uh, behind me some of the uh, the kit man. I think it was uh, Malcolm Taylor, Woggy, <laughs> Klaus. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was only my second game in the Premier League. So uh, yeah, welcome to. Uh, I was all of a sudden there. I was just unbelievable. Oh, you you played in a, a victory at, at Anfield as well, didn't you? I mean, what what did it feel like to beat Liverpool at Anfield? You know, did you touch the the sign on your way in that time, or or, or did you realise no, that didn't. wasn't going to bring you luck? <laughs> that was only uh, that was only once. Uh, so now I think most of the the away grounds I yeah had victories, uh, apart from I think the. The old Highbury and uh, an old Trafford, um, uh, but taking three points at Anfield is something special. Yeah, of course it was. Uh, so, uh, uh, so many unbelievable uh, 
yeah, memories to look back at. Yeah, and um, say, so, I mean, let's let's track back a little bit. So, um, when you got the call to say Southampton were interested in you, I mean, what, what happened? Was it your agent that phoned you? Did you get a call from Graham Sooners himself? Uh, how, how did that all happen? Uh, it was my agent. Uh, I was uh, Runa Hoga at the time, um, even though he uh, he was suspended, I think, at the time. But he was uh, he was my agent. So uh, it was a Danish guy who uh, I kept in contact with. I've, I've only broke through uh, as um, I'm playing a couple of years for the under-21s in Norway and uh, came through the ranks in Brandberg and. Uh, and I went really quickly, uh, and I knew there was quite a few clubs interested um, in me and a few other Brand Bergen players at the time. Uh, but when I heard, uh, I had some German clubs interested, I know, and uh, and when I heard, obviously Southampton uh, and the Premier League, a Premier League club was interested, there was something very exciting for me. Uh, and it, 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 yeah, uh, the transfer was uh, over and done with really quickly. Actually, I think Southampton uh, came over once, and the second time they came over, Graham Sooners and Laurie McMenemy came over and watched me, and uh, we made a deal that evening uh, on a little uh, fish market in in Bergen. Uh, I will never, I will never forget it. Oh wow. I mean, that's almost sounds like a, a dream for for most people to you know go and have dinner with uh, Graham Sooness and Laurie McMenemy and and talk yeah. about football. But to have that kind of prospect of moving to the Premier League as as well. I mean, so once you knew Graham Sooness was was watching you in the stands, I mean, how did you cope with that pressure? Uh, I was maybe a little bit more nervous than uh, unusual, but. Uh... I don't think my nerves has ever sort of hindered me or, or uh, put restrictions on my performances. Uh, as uh, yeah, the the older Southampton supporters know, I, I was sort of uh, a very calm and collective uh, centre half. Uh, even though I was very ner- nervous, and, and the nerves you you must have to to perform. Um, uh, obviously, I was yeah very very excited to to know that the legend of uh, Laura McMenemy and uh, and Graham Sooners was watching me uh even even more so when I uh, I met them after the game and, uh, and we had a meal in in town uh and I was actually a Southampton player that evening so uh I was uh, I was obviously quite fearless and sort of maybe a bit naive at the time and I uh, I was very, very determined of of uh, proving myself in in the Premier League, um, and I will probably say it's the the toughest, the toughest, uh, most competitive league in the world. So, uh, and like I said, all of a sudden I was I was there competing against the best. Yeah, and and you weren't the only Norwegian player that uh, Sune signed, were you? Because about a month after he signed you, he brought in Egil Ostenstad. I mean, did you know Egil before or? 
Yeah, I knew Ego obviously through the the national team, and uh, obviously we we played against each other uh, quite a few times in the domestic league in Norway. So I knew of Ego, uh, not not as a very personal friend, but obviously I we uh, we became very good friends the years he was at Southampton, um, and we had. Uh, we actually had uh, Tor Andre Flo as well on, on trial with Southampton at the time, uh, which we didn't sign. Uh, he went back to Norway. He was playing for Bamberg at the time, and, and Chelsea signed him a few months later. So uh, I, I remember that, yeah. The one that got away there. And you think instead, uh, Graham Souness also signed Ali Deer that season as well, didn't he? <laughs> Well, yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've heard the story from Matt Letizia before, but you've got. Let's have your angle on that because that must have just been totally bizarre. It was. We couldn't believe it, really. Uh, the problem was we we never saw saw him in training. Um, he never saw time to. We just heard that he. he uh, uh, we've signed him, and he was uh, an unbelievably uh, talented prospect who's come in and uh, was obviously linked with George Villa at the time. So uh, we had high expectations for him, uh, but we we never saw him in training. So uh, well, when he was subbed on half time, I remember the game. Uh, I think it was subbed <laughs> of Matt Latis at the time as well. Uh, only took uh, his second his second involvement in the game. We saw that this is uh, this is not working, uh, and uh, being subbed off again. And we never saw him again. Yeah, he, he was gone. Uh, so that, that that was it really. And he, he ran from all the hotel bills and everything. So uh, never been heard again. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, what a blagger, you know. I, I, would, I would absolutely love to get him on this podcast and hear his side of the story. You know, if anyone still knows know where him, he is. Uh, I have no idea whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I mean, he nearly scored. I mean, that's the that's the amazing thing. He had a fantastic opportunity, but um, you know, did, uh, unsurprisingly, yeah. he didn't put it away. Um, so just one last thing before we move on to a little bit later on in, in your Saints career and kind of progress through the seasons. Um, the first kind of really impressive win for your Saints career was when Southampton beat Manchester United 6-3. I mean, how, how did you feel in the run up to that? I mean, you couldn't have possibly believed that you were going to beat them like that. No, obviously, having all the the big teams. Uh, this was my first season in '96, obviously, and, and having Manchester United coming down, uh, they were sort of uh, yeah, winning everything at, at the time. Uh, so we were massive underdogs. But uh, I learned very quickly that the Dell was uh, no one. No one liked to come down and play against us at the Dell. Uh, so we had to sort of advantage. Very intimidating for even the big teams to come down and play. And, and we were really fired up for those sort of big games against the big teams. So it was just unbelievable. To uh, obviously, it was an end-to-end game uh, with, with nine goals. It's just unbelievable. Uh, I think I, I had an assist in the game as well. Uh, but I was just frantic. And, and to beat such a massive team with so many 
unbelievable players that they had at the time uh, with Beckham and so uh, Cantona and all, all the uh, Roy Keane was sent off with a tackle uh, and sort of knee heights on me I remember straight red uh, yeah it was some fantastic memories and I, I remember coming in and dressing them after and uh, what the hell just happened Oh, it's just, uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, it's one of those moments I will never forget. Yeah, and then obviously the the following season when you know Manchester United promised that it, it would never happen again, and then for Saints <laughs> to go out and beat them three one. Did, did that almost feel even better than than the six three? Yeah, because then you, you obviously you, you you know that they were fired up for that one, and they. Uh, and they brag about it. It's uh, it's not going to happen again with such a big team with so much quality. And when when you then beat them, you you sort of uh, you're even more proud of them. Uh, so that was quite an achievement. But we 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 beat most of the big teams coming down to the Dell. I remember even Liverpool. I think we beat two three years running uh, at the Dell. And and uh, yeah, it was a fortress. And uh, it was very intimidating. And uh, like I said, we we had a, a, a very, very. Uh, even though we we were fighting relegation every year, I remember at the Dell, we uh, we, we managed to uh, to pull through, and we had some unbelievable great escapes. I remember. Yeah, and I mean, in your time at Southampton and, you know, the Dell and then at St. Mary's a, a little bit later on as well. I mean, you, you played under so many different managers. I think I've counted a, at least a dozen that I think you must have played under. Um, and the number of different Southampton players you must have played with, I think must run into the hundreds. Um, I, I mean, I wonder, out of all of your central defensive pairings you know who who was the who is the player or the players that that you loved playing alongside the most who, who did you feel kind of most comfortable with and, and feel like you had a real understanding with i think uh most of the 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 center back pairings i, I had was uh well I, I was comfortable uh with most of them um obviously Having a, a good run with a with a central defender, which you know and, and you sort of fulfil each other very well. It's uh, it's not only yeah, it's it's not given. So uh, I formed some very good partnerships. I, I feel over the, over the many many years I was at Southampton, and obviously when I came to the club, Ken Monko was there. We had quite a few games together. He uh, he was a good player. Um, but the, the probably the ones that I remember uh, the most is, is obviously Dean Richards, uh, who uh, yeah, rest in peace. Dean, he uh, was really really sad too. I was a Molyneux uh, and saying goodbye to to him that uh, that game. I remember, and I still think of that. So he was a very good friend, and obviously when he he left for for Tottenham. Um, I remember he, he phoning me and, and thanking me for the good partnership we had. So uh, that was something special. Uh, but then later on, I, I formed a, an unbelievable partnership with Michael Svensson, uh, the killer, uh, which I'm still in, 
in contact with. He, uh, I think we we were made for each other as centre halves. He, uh, I was sort of the laid back one and sort of reading of the game, and he was uh, compromising hard. Uh, and uh, we had a very very good understanding at the time, and we had. That back four, I think, with including Anthony Niemi, uh, was with Jason Dodd, Wayne Bridge on the left back, uh, me and Michael. Uh, at centre halves was uh, was a very strong uh, was a very strong defence. I, I think a lot of Saints fans would dream of having that defence at its peak again. I mean, my word, what 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 force that would yeah. be. Um, I mean, interestingly, Shirley Mush, who's one of our listeners, he, he wrote in and said, you know, who was the better centre-back partner? Was it Killer or was it Dino? And he was, he obviously yeah. thought it would be one of those two. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, yeah. what, what, one of the things that, you know, you've talked about Michael Svensson and in your kind of almost uh, love affair in the centre of defence with him. Um, he, he gave me a comment. He said, it took me a couple of games to get my first goal for Saints, yet it took Klaus years to get his. I gave him a lot of stick for that. <laughs> Is that true? Is that what he was like? Uh, it's very true. It's very true. I've taken so much stick over the years, even now, uh, on my goal-scoring record, and, and rightly so. <laughs> yeah, I think it took me six years. Uh, so, uh, and I only managed to get to... Uh, but one one away and, and one at home. Uh, funny enough, it was against the same manager who uh, used to manage me. It was uh, <laughs> uh, Paul Jones. So uh, uh, no, Dave Jones. I mean, yeah, Dave Jones, it was Paul yeah. Jones in, in goal at, uh, at Molyneux when I scored my first Premier League goal there. So now uh, I, I think my whole uh, goal scoring record was a bit of a shambles. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, but it was a mental thing. I sort of uh, in training, I was quite—I uh, wouldn't say lethal, but I was—I was scoring quite a few goals in training. Uh, and I've always been a sort of attacking uh, player uh, with skills, and uh, we're going up. And I think, yeah, I've, I've taken a lot of uh, yeah, comments, and uh, I remember this guy, sports reporters. Uh, Mentioned me uh, live in a game uh, when when I came up and and said live on the air why does he bother? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well, it was more, mostly a decoy, but it was a mental thing for me because in in my own 16-yard box, I, I was all uh, um, so determined to defend with uh, with everything I had. Um, when I sort of went up in the opposition's. Uh, 16-yard box, it was not really my job. So uh, I think that was sort of, um, it should have been, but uh, with my height and sort of ability in the air, I should have scored a lot more goals. No doubt about it, but it was not my sort of uh, I mean, I, I think Letizia once described you as being like Alan Hansen, very uncomfortable in front of his own goal, but less comfortable in front of the opposition's. But yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Neil Langridge is another one of our listeners. It, it, he kind of actually asked, well, you've, you've kind of already answered it a little bit, as what, you know, what was your role in the tactics for attacking free kicks and corners? And he asked, you know, how often did you score them in training? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't, after a few years, obviously, the managers and, and my teammates, uh, 
uh, knew that I wasn't prolific in front of goal. So I, uh, I was, I was always part of the setup uh, offensively for uh, for free kicks and corners, and uh, uh, but mostly as a yeah, dragging the big big people away, <laughs> making room for the yeah. others. And then, and then, how did it feel when you finally got that goal against Wolves? I mean, I, I wonder. Um, you know, this is a question that a lot of our fans have asked. You know, there's um, Saints Mike. He, he he liked to ask that question. Also, I want to kind of add to that. Did you have something against Dave Jones? You know, the fact that you you got your only two of your goals, both against teams that he managed. And after, I think he gave you nearly a hundred appearances for Southampton when he was yeah, manager. Yeah, did. Yeah, he did. Uh, I love Dave Jones. He was really a player's manager. Uh, he was a good man. So uh, that was nothing personal. Uh, it was just uh, a little freaky coincidence, really. Um, that, uh, he was he was the manager of Wolverhampton at the time, and when he came to the Dallas Championship with Cardiff. Um, so, uh, but I can promise it was nothing personal. Uh, it wasn't. But I was uh, scoring my first Premier League goal at, at Molyneux. I, I, I think I was in shock. Obviously, I, uh, I sort of reacted on uh, on impulse and, and uh, just pure reaction from a from across a free kick. I think it was flicked on by uh, Kevin Phillips, uh, if I'm not, I remember rightly, and I. Uh, I just dived in there and uh, I put my uh, my foot on it and in it went and I uh, everyone who uh, he watched it I, I just stood there uh, yeah probably in shock and I, I remember running all the way over across the whole pitch because our away supporters were the on the other side so uh, that was a special moment yeah. Uh, I- Fantastic, and I think it's going to live long in the memory of of many, many Saints fans, especially the ones that made the trip up to to Molyneux. Um, I want to ask you about the managers that you've played under. So we've mentioned Graham Souness a a fair bit and Dave Jones as well, but I mean, you've also been managed by Glenn Hoddle, Stuart Gray, Gordon Strachan, Steve Wigley, Paul Sturrock, Harry Redknapp, um, even Dave Bassett and Dennis Wise for a few games, George Burley. Jason Dodd, I think, had a couple of games in charge as well. Um, and then I think you finished... Did you finish playing for Saints whilst Nigel Pearson was, was the manager? Or did you yeah, kind of injured yeah. at that point? Um, I mean, out, out of those, who, who do you want to pick out and tell us a little story about? Uh, like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's many. Uh, and I, I think... I'm I'm very glad I've I've uh, I had so many managers because I you learn something from every one of them, uh, good or bad, uh, how they sort of uh, approach the team and how they sort of uh, have they set up and uh, the people they they got involved. Um, obviously, there's a few managers who will. Uh, was always be more special than others because of of the results you're getting. Um, like I said, that as a as a player, I remember Dave Jones very well, uh, and uh, I liked him as a, as a person. He, he was uh, he was a very good man. He was sort of a manager you uh, I wanted to play for and give everything uh, you got. But later on, I uh, I remember. Uh, 
uh, Glenn Hoddle very well, uh, very, very good tactically, and uh, we were so very prepared for every game. Uh, I remember him maybe not as good with, with the players individually. Um, and I remember obviously Gordon Strachan as, uh, as one of the years of the highlights of, of my career uh, because I was probably on those years peak of my career in 2003 to 2005 I won the sort of PFA player of the year two years running in Norway um, and we had two top 10 finishes in the Premier League plus an FA Cup final and uh, on the Golden Strachan um, and um, yeah, but it's it's many, um, and I um, I've uh, I've learned something uh, valuable of uh, every one of them. Uh, I feel very privileged to to have so to get to know so many um, strong footballing characters. Uh, even Gordon now, uh, Harry Redknapp, as uh, I would say, as a, as a good friend. But, he, uh, he came over when I was working with the Premier League football in TV2 in Norway. He came over with a few others, uh, with Gordon Strachan and uh, and Graham Sooner. So I've uh, managed to keep in touch with them. So yeah. uh, I've, I've had uh, very good relationships with, with all of the managers, really. What was your first impression of Gordon Strachan? Because I think, you know, uh, for, for people who have uh, English as a first language, sometimes it can be hard enough to understand him. And he certainly <laughs> seems seems quite eccentric. I, I think I imagine him being quite a tough manager. Um, sometimes the stuff that he says is bizarre, but he was obviously an incredibly talented manager. I mean, the way we saw Saints playing under him was really fantastic. Um, yeah. But you, 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 what, what, what was it like playing for him, and what you know? What was your first impression? Did you think, "Oh my God, what is this guy about?" When when he showed up at Southampton? Uh, yeah, I can honestly uh, say that when he came in, uh, I wouldn't say I hated him, but uh, I didn't like very much of him because he uh, he was running us every day. Uh, it was really really hard and was really strict. Um, but as a as a human being, as a, as a as a person, you, you, I learned to know him, and he, he was the fairest man, the fairest manager you you ever meet, really. Uh, and he was really, really good at getting the most out of the players. Uh, and we hadn't, uh, uh, when the years he was there, he he wasn't, we didn't have the the biggest squad of of players, uh, and I think we had the most. Or most consistent run we've we've ever had when I was there, uh, and that was down to Gordon really because he he, he I think he, he got us so fit. Uh, we sort of hated him the first few months because he Monday Tuesday he kept running us uh, box to box, and uh, but later on we saw the benefits of it uh, because we were winning games late on and we were very very hard to. To beat, we were very well organised, uh, and we more or less kept the same team every game. Uh, we were a very strong side, very very tough to beat. So uh, when you get the results, uh, even though you you have a a tough sort of uh, manager and his approach to how we how we managed us, uh, we loved it. 
we loved it, and I, I loved Gordon. Uh, he was uh, he was a very good man. He was very fair. If you uh, if you did your your job to the best of your ability, he was uh, he was behind you all the way. So uh, I always remember Gordon as so. well. A very good man, human being, but also a very good manager. I wonder, do you remember when Gordon Strachan made a comment after you'd been stretched off uh, against Leicester City, and uh, he was asked if you were unconscious or not, and he said, "Well, I don't have a clue." <laughs> That's what he's always like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I remember that. I was, uh, well, he, <laughs> he's got a few good quotes of me. I think uh, I was useful as a as a dead body in the box. So, uh, no, he, he, uh, but that, I, I think that just proves that uh, we learned to know him and we had this sort of, uh, uh, yeah, well, he, he could he could say things like that because he it was, uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't offended about it. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was sort of true in a way, even though I, I tried my best, but he, uh, there was not my strength, really. So, uh, and I was laid back, and I was sort of uh, comfortable on the ball, and uh, I wasn't uh, very uh, often very stressed. So, uh, uh, but that was some of my qualities as well. So, um, Klaus, I mean, we, I don't think we can get through this uh, conversation if we don't talk about some of the absolute highlights and, and under Strachan. Can you tell us about that FA Cup run and, and, and what it felt like? Uh, first of all, to just be involved in an FA Cup final, uh, me growing up in Norway, uh, watching, watching the English League and then obviously the FA Cup in the most... The oldest, most historic uh, domestic cup competition in the world is something very, very special. Uh, and uh, it's one of those uh, matches and moments, and all the weeks leading up to it was was just uh, something I, I will never forget. Uh, and what I sort of remember mostly about it is, is, is the whole city, the whole of Southampton, all the supporters, and. and in uh, yellow and blue, uh, filling the Millennium Stadium. And I was standing there for sort of hours after the game. Um, but leading up to it, even, even the, I remember really well the, the semi-final at Villa Park uh, against Watford. Um, that was a special sort of game as well, winning that. And and then uh, on our way to uh, to an FA Cup final, and we, I think we had two or three weeks waiting for the, the cup final. Uh, and those weeks, and the whole Southampton was sort of in so high expectations and sort of uh, busting the whole city. And uh, there was, yeah, as a, as a player, to be involved in an FA Cup final, uh, loving the city as much as I did, Southampton fans and, and everyone involved was, was something I will always treasure for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, it it felt like a magical time as a as a fan, really, um, going through that. And um, I, I've spoken to a few of your um, ex colleagues that played in that, and I mean, Brett Ormerod was talking about it. Um, Michael Svensson mm-hmm. talked about it. Paul Jones had obviously a very different experience of it because he was gutted that he was dropped, but then he had the kind of being the only goalkeeper to be subbed on in a final. And um, it, it, 
all of your all of your ex colleagues and teammates kind of talk about that that day and that run you know as a kind of really magical time um i mean i suppose the other thing that we've got to get get to i mean if that was the highlights obviously was the lowest point um getting relegated from the premier league yeah obviously uh, that's uh, that season was uh, was horrible really i was uh it was a really, really uh, low of, uh, of for me personally and for for the whole team. When you when you've been there so such a long time as I was lucky enough to to be at Southampton, I was I was been captain for quite a few years, and uh, to have to see your team getting relegated was uh, was was really devastating, uh, and uh, it really hurt me. Uh, and it took me a long, long time to sort of recover from it. Uh, it was, it was tough. Um, but we, we were lacking in the sort of togetherness that season. We, we were, we had uh, too many splits in the team, and we had so many, yeah, uh, too many arguments, uh, and we were not pulling together. So, I think coming to the end of it, being getting beat by Manchester United and I think the last day of the season we had sort of a, a chance to stay up uh, I think we were relegated uh, weeks before um, but yeah it was uh, a surreal experience really to to be there with so much uh, Southampton in your heart to, to go down it's, it's uh, yeah it's dreadful it, it was uh, it was horrible and, and was that the difference? Was it the team togetherness? I mean, you talked about, you know, you accepted Gordon Strachan joking about you. And um, obviously, there seemed like a really great team spirit in that team that got to the FA Cup final. And, you know, Ormerod and Beattie seemed to be a match made in heaven. You and Killer seemed to be a match made in heaven. And, and, and we had those sort of partnerships and team spirit across. And, and that was that the difference between a team that can get to the cup final with a largely similarly talented squad as one that can get relegated yeah i think in football uh of uh, so many years ago and you've experienced in life and in in, in general that uh the, the sort of togetherness you need in also uh team sports it's, it's crucial uh pulling together and having a a sort uh uh, together, belief of of what you're trying to achieve is is crucial. Uh, it's so crucial, uh, and and I think the season we got relegated was. Uh, uh, I, I think also we, we we had injuries and we were maybe a little bit unlucky, but we, we didn't have that sort of uh, uh, closeness. We didn't didn't have that. Um, that dressing room that's needed to uh, to actually get the best out of each other. We yeah. we had too many uh, too many uh, sort of strong personalities as well. Uh, who was more sort of I would say maybe conscious about their own performances than uh, than uh, playing each other's uh, yeah. Because um, what we had. Well, we had the first few years, and I, I learned so much about 
uh, in, in football terms is, is the first years I was uh, at Southampton when we played at the Dell. Uh, and I think on paper, we we were sort of relegated every year. Uh, if you look at the, the sort of the squad we had, the, the quality. But one thing we did have was a fighting spirit. We were willing to die for each other. And we had a, a dressing room who was just unbelievable looking after each other. Um, and I, I think that is so important. And we managed to stay up every year. Uh, and and uh, and uh, pulling each other through and, and learning learning each other uh, not only on, on the pitch but outside the pitch. And I, I think those relations you build as uh, as, as friends, as, as footballers, it, it's very, very important to succeed, even uh, even in team sports. So uh, and I learned very, very much. And, and through my whole career, uh, internationally and, and in life in general, it's it's to, to perform well personally, you, you need good players around you and need and good people around you. And uh, I think somebody needs a kick in the ass, and I I, I got it uh, very often from. I remember Jason Dodd kicking me up the ass all, all the time because I needed it because he knew me. He he knew that I would respond to that positively. Um, but somebody needed an an arm around the shoulder to to maybe given comfort and sort of belief again. So, uh, and uh, the relegation season, uh, I think we had too many plays for for their own good. Yeah. And, and then you, uh, you you won't achieve as a team then. Yeah, I was, it's interesting hearing you talk about that team spirit and that togetherness. And I've heard lots of the other players talk about it. And it's, uh, I've heard it kind of referred to as almost um, blitz spirit, which is obviously a very British term for kind of people when you feel like you're in something together and you're willing to do things for you know for, for people that aren't related to you aren't necessarily friends but you, you're in it together um now now Klaus I, I've read a fair bit about um your life after football um and you know quite a lot of our listeners have as well um and Alex McInnes who, who kind of wrote and he said you know did you feel that your personal problems and lifestyle were any way linked to the relegation in 2005 i mean i i've got an, another question which i want to add to that is it was it the kind of lack of that team togetherness which led to your problems after football and, and i think for those listeners um who maybe aren't familiar with this story do, can you can you tell us what what happened in your life after you left football yeah, of course. I've I've been very honest and open about uh, my struggles after after I retire um, and uh, my difficulties with addiction and um, sort of depression. And uh, yeah, what I've sort of uh, can recognise uh, looking back, and uh, I've sort of looked back so many times and and sort of thought. Uh, was there anything different I could have, have done? Um, I probably could have, but uh, I uh, ended up making a, a few bad decisions, and I uh, I was all of a sudden uh, in in a really dark spot, really, and uh, I found myself struggling to to cope. Uh, but I think the most important elements of of me. Uh, 
finding it finding it difficult and and so going into depression was um was uh, was losing uh what I've just been talking about losing the dressing room losing the day to day sort of life of of getting up getting into to training to meet my friends my my teammates uh and i I think I missed that so much uh, that I've sort of was struggling to uh, you feel a sort of hopelessness of of what should I do now uh, but I, I I thought when I retired of the testimonial that I was set up for life i was uh, I, I should be very happy and proud and 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 uh, I had the whole life in front of me, but uh, I was not happy, and uh, and that was when the depression sort of crept in, and 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 I think having something meaningless to go to, uh, that sort of uh, was was taken away from me, and I, I missed that so much that I uh, I found it very very difficult, and I was sort of chasing chasing the the sort of adrenaline because you you can't really replace running out to 20 to 50,000 people every week that that's just impossible and the adrenaline kick and sort of all the acknowledgements of of being who you are and everything and and all of a sudden it's gone uh or at least you feel it's gone um and and you feel lonely and and sort of uh, alone um in, in your own isolation, really, and in some elements, it's, it's difficult to to explain. But I think the the loss of of uh, what I've said of, of the dressing room, the day to day meaningness of of life, really, was uh, was taken away from me, and I, I found that very very difficult. And like I said, I, I made some bad decisions. Um, I found more and more partying. Uh, was uh, was sort of covering my uh, my day to day. Was sort of uh, being being me of of forgetting really. I think more more than anything else. And then that developed into sort of more uh, prescription drugs uh, and later on uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of cocaine use, uh, which I was struggling with for for a few years, uh, and and all this really yeah, ended up nearly killing me uh, a few times. Uh, it was really it was really really bad. There was some some horrendous uh, dark times. And did you have any you know family and friends who could see? That your life was starting to, you know, spiral out of control, and you know, perhaps it started with a few parties, and then lots of parties, and then drinking and taking drugs, you know, all day, every day. I mean, what? How, how did your close friends and family feel about it, or, or did you just become alienated from them? I, I, I think my my ego, my sort of. Uh... My inner, inner image of of myself, and and uh, I, I was always been the, the the proud one who wasn't allowed to show weaknesses. Uh, and I, I think deep inside, I, I knew I had a, I had a problem, and I wasn't happy. And I, I think my family and my my closest friends, uh, a lot of my teammates, recognised that I was. Uh, 
I was uh, I was struggling, and they tried to help me, and I uh, I remember it so well today that uh, I had so many close good friends and teammates who uh, who saw that I was uh, was not happy, and I uh, I was drinking too much, I was using uh, narcotics, and and uh, I was not good, but I think. For me, I was I was already in in that bubble at the moment at the time, and I I couldn't uh, I couldn't sort of do anything about it. I uh, I was trapped in a way, um, and I think not sort of recognise what sort of issues I had. Uh, even it took me years to to learn really, uh, and and I had to. To break break down uh, so many times, and uh, with a sort of heart attack and uh, overdose, and, and tried to I didn't want to live. I tried to kill myself, and it was really really bad. I, I wasn't I hadn't really surrendered um, because I, I felt in a way that I was in control, um, and that was uh, uh, obviously after I was. So so far down, and uh, I've given up all hope really. Uh, and then my my sort of, uh, my tears came, and I, I couldn't really justify killing myself or go away with with my two beautiful daughters and my family around me who loved me. And uh, it was, I was I was just um, it just felt hopeless. Mm. I, I was so I was so lost. Uh, I, uh, but luckily, I, yeah, uh, after months and months uh, struggling and then sort of half trying to to get out of it, I uh, I've given up and and yeah, I was sort of crying relentless of of being where I was. Uh, I got eventually the the help I needed, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's taken. It's taken me many, many years to sort of learn about me, myself, and find the the little boy again, Klaus again, <laughs> uh, and, and his his values in life. And and I've always been a uh, a nice sort of humble uh, humble little little kid. But I think being in the spotlight for so many years, so I was, it, it did something with me as well. Uh, and I think all the, the sort of proud in me is, is uh, put me. It, it took longer to to sort of break that down for me to get help, uh, which made it uh, made it worse really. Yeah. Uh, and years years after as well, I, I sort of I needed sort of confirmation of of being uh, sort of a drug addict and alcoholic. Uh, so it was it was really really tough for the, for, for many many years after yeah. after I retire uh, I'm just very very lucky uh, but very incredibly proud of where I am today yeah uh, and uh, how did you find that how did you find that redemption you know what what did it take to pick yourself up off the floor from the absolute pits of depression and um, addiction you know what what is it that that made you kind of almost kind of step 
step out and and look at yourself and and make that decision and, and who helped you do that uh there's been a lot of people helping me and uh there's been a lot of uh, good footballing friends who's helped me uh who's who's uh who's known me and uh and a lot of them is, is Southampton players uh which i will ever be be grateful for and they know who they are uh, obviously um yeah it's it's uh it's uh, um, I just feel the, the everything today is is, is just um, looking back. It, it's uh, in a way it's it's uh, it's been my sort of destiny in a way, and it's given me uh, an enormous amount of of uh, perspective of uh, what's uh, what's important in life. Um, and I wouldn't wish my worst enemy going through what I went through of of the addiction side of things because it's it's horrible it's um yeah and it's, uh, i've seen it killed so many people and and that's one of the reasons i've i in my sort of autobiography i've, I've called it sort of my toughest game ever uh, um and that's the the title of it uh it's been the the hardest game i've i've ever had to play uh, to survive addiction yeah. and to come out of depression and so be where I am today because the, the downfall where 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 I was being sort of standing there at my testimonial being sort of looked up to by so many thousand fans uh, to where I was uh, sort of a year later it's just unbelievable yeah, yeah it's just crazy. Uh, so it, it's been a, a very long, tough, tough road to to where I am today. But obviously, I'm, I'm very, very proud and, and lucky and privileged to to uh, to be where I am today. And I've I've been uh, uh, I've been clean for for three and a half, nearly four years now. And I've uh, yeah I found a, a sort of uh, a life that I. Uh, I appreciate so uh, so much with with a completely different perspective of what's important. Yeah, and and Klaus, I mean, I I know friends that suffer with depression. Um, you know, I've had a kind of small bout of it my, myself before, and I know friends that have dealt with addiction. And I'm sure there's plenty of our listeners that that have similar issues. Is there a is there a message that you could say to those people, or or something? How, if someone's feeling depressed or is struggling with addiction and listening to this, what what can they do to, you know, get to the stage where you are and be looking back at it as a problem that sits in the past rather than the present? I think my best best advice, and I, I got no no uh, uh, yeah answers to what. What it should be or what it shouldn't be, you you need to find your own sort of uh, path to to get out of it. But for me, it was uh, to get sort of addiction free or to to get clean uh, was was hard enough. But that was maybe the the easiest part. But to live to live clean uh, with all your thoughts and, and feelings afterwards was, was the difficult part the yeah. day-to-day life uh, 
after the the years of addiction uh with with all the sort of guilt and the shame you you carry with it uh, and everyone you've sort of let down uh was the difficult part i think uh patience is is a key word i uh, i think um you need to find yourself something meaningful to go to every day. You need to find a, um, something social that uh, you feel sort of uh, uh, included in, in, in something meaningful. Uh, yeah. I think we all need that. Uh, whatever you sort of, whoever you are, whatever you do, you, you need uh, something social, uh, a workplace or... Um, some people that care really, and yeah. uh, and for me that was that was one of the the, the main things. So I, I I needed to find a, a new path for, for myself. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's taken me years to to sort of experience uh, what I needed uh, for for me and and myself. And it's been it's been very 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 tough, but. Uh, Jesus Christ, I've, I've learned so much about myself yeah. and, and life in general. And uh, I, I can you know, thank you on behalf of all of our listeners and probably you know, everyone's going to come across this story and you know, the story that you've shared before with, with interviews and just you know, say thank you for opening up on that. Um, I, I have a feeling I might have a few listeners that might complain that you know, they were chopping onions during this episode and <laughs> had, a, <laughs> had to go reach for the, for the tissues or wipe away a tear there because it you know, it's it's really yeah, but it's, it's, it's a tough story it's, to hear, but an important one. Yeah, I think so. It's real life, and we we are sort of yeah, we maybe been a bit uh, admired for for being the successful footballers we we have been, and so privileged and lucky we we we've been. But we we are normal human beings, and and uh, and I think my story is is not unique. Not at all. Uh, I'm, I found it very hard to be, obviously, uh, in the public eye and, and being very honest and, and sort of uh, and open about it. But I'm, I'm very, very glad today I, uh, I've done so. I've written a book, a very honest and open book about uh, all my uh, my proud football career, and uh, but also uh, these things uh, because I, I think there's a there's an important message for. For many, and it, it's so much stigmatizing around and taboo around the the sort of uh, mental part of of uh, our general health and and the addiction side of things. That uh, you're more more people that who can who can talk about it, the more we can help. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a lot of us Saints fans are eagerly awaiting the day that that there's the English edition of your book, and you know it's going to be great to to read that when 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 we finally get there and uh, of course we'll give you we'll give that a big shout out when it does when it is when it is ready for that um klaus should we move on to some listener questions and try and lighten the mood sure. before we before we finish yeah. this interview um so i've got a whole load of very quick fire questions here so i want you to kind of just very very quickly answer them without thinking too much okay so th these coming from ben show so your favorite manager that you played under Gordon Sack. And your least favourite manager to play under? Oh. Glenn Oddle. 
Um, which teammates are you still in contact with? I think there's going to be hundreds here. So, um, which teammate are you most in contact with? Who do you speak to most regularly? Uh, Anders, Michael Swenson, Marcelo Tizier, Wayne Bridge, Jason Dodd, uh, James Beattie, Brett Omod. Uh, yeah. I, I would absolutely. I think it'd probably be my dream to, you know, sit around a, a sofa and chat the night away with that with that group of players. I mean, half of my heroes in one one sentence there. Okay, worst away ground to play at. Uh, Old Trafford. Most difficult striker you played against. Thierry Henry. Um, strongest personality in the dressing room. Jason Dodd, Chris Marston, in a positive way. Okay. Um, which Saints player would you have least liked to play against? Uh, um, I would say Matt. Yeah. Matt I, it's a, it, one of a kind, Matt Lattis, isn't it? When you have like Xavi and, and Guardiola I, as the, the admirers. Even though I had him in my pocket every training. <laughs> he was unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know whether to believe that or not, Klaus, because the amount of ex-players that have said, you know, yeah, we were never surprised when he scored those goals on the pitch because we saw what he did in the tra- no. in training sessions, which was even, even more audacious. Uh, he was special. He was special. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's one. Try not to be too rude. One word to describe our friends from down the road, Portsmouth Football Club. Who the scum? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, let's let, let's just kind of wrap up with a couple more little questions. Uh, upside down, Saint. He's based in Australia. He's asking when are you going to come and visit him in in Brisbane. I would love to come uh, to uh, Australia for a barbecue. There we go. Upside down, Saint. Get that sorted. Get your invite across to Klaus, and uh, he's up for a barbie. Um, And um, Russell Pope wonders, what are your thoughts on our new Norwegian signing, Mohamed Elianusi? He's he's decent. He's uh, I don't. I've followed him a few years. He's uh, he's a good player. He's uh, he's an honest, hard-working player, uh, and he's got some uh, some good skills. So I'm um, I'm excited of how he's gonna uh, if he's gonna succeed in the Premier League. But he he's got some good qualities. Brilliant. Um, and Hursty Boy says, can you get your boots back on and show us how to defend properly? I would love to, but I'm afraid uh, I will only last about four minutes. I think. Yeah. Have you ever thought about getting into management or coaching? Yeah, I've sort of done jobs, and I run a football academy in Bergen at the moment, uh, apart from uh, my main work. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I um, I still think I've, I've got a lot to uh, so much love for the game, and uh, I think I've got a lot to uh, to uh, through my experience and knowledge. I uh, but we uh, we will see. I yeah. um, I've got a good uh, a good life at the moment, so uh, 
Okay. I, I, I love working with young players. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and now for our uh, standard silly question that our friend Les's Lamborghini always messages in. Uh, he, he, he gets upset when I call them silly questions. Apparently they give him a real insight into the personality and what the man is made of. So with that in mind, Klaus, would you rather be fluent in all languages, every language spoken in the world, and never be able to travel or be able to travel anywhere for a year, but never be able to learn a single word of a different language. Oh, difficult. Uh, but I think I will um, choose the one I'd be allowed to travel. Yeah. To uh, to see. Uh, absolutely. Um, he also adds, "Can you also thank him for being such a superb and loyal player and skipper and?" I think I probably echo all of the Saints fans. I mean, to have a career that spanned 12 years, 350 games, so many wonderful performances at the centre of defence, so many wonderful games that you're involved with. I mean, I think the reality is, Klaus, we could probably do a whole series of interviews with you and we'd still only scratch the surface of your Saints career. So thank you so much for for joining us um that's from from me at the saints fc podcast and all of our listeners who, who are going to tune in and, li and listen to this it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to speak to you and and klaus i wonder if you have a, a message for our listeners and our fans well it's it's been a privilege to to serve uh southampton football club uh to be a part of the family for for so many years uh i lived there for 14 years and i i will never forget it it's been uh it's been the best years of my life um so uh i'm just very very uh humbled and uh yeah being loyal to to southampton for so many years it, it's been uh, it's been incredible so uh, and the southampton supporters are the best